This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about the bread of life, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. So, I've said it several times on this podcast and on probably PMP, but John's gospel is the most theologically advanced gospel. Yes. And it arguably tells the best story. Mm -hmm. It has the fewest amount of Jesus' miracles recorded in it. But it also has these discourses Mm -hmm. about Jesus explaining them or they're much more detailed in narrative. Um, John's gospel is the only one where we get Nicodemus at night. Right. Um, There's a lot of unique content in John's gospel. And so it's arguably the best story. Mm-hmm. Combine that with the theologically advanced con- conversation. Yeah, conversation of the narrative. Jesus has seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. It would be not it would not be lost on any reader the Moses narrative when they're reading that. Right. And when we were kind of reading through the text right before we turned the podcast on, you made this comment that Jesus repeats himself a lot. A lot. Which, guess what? What does that mean? That means it's on purpose and it's important. Exactly. And yes, Jesus does repeat himself a lot in this narrative. But if you remember, so does God Mm. in Exodus. No. In the I am narrative. Hmm. I Mm. am the God of your fathers, when they ask who I am or who it is sent me, say, I am. I am that I am, right? He repeats himself three or four times there. All of that would not be, all of that symmetry would not be lost on an ancient reader. They'd be picking up these echoes left and right. It'd be alarm bells going off in their head. It's also interesting that Jesus' very first I am statement is that he is the bread of life. Mm-hmm. Let's let's read this text. Or actually, you made a comment right when we sat down to read it that is very insightful. I mean, it's extremely important to understand that like where you're coming out of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Yeah, you cannot miss that. That cannot it's be so lost important. on anyone. He took he literally took bread and multiplied it, right? Like mm-hmm. And now he's making the statement that he's the bread of life, right? Yeah. Well, and also, remember what I said? John's gospel is also the only one that tells us where he got the food from, Mm -hmm. the original food. Do you remember where they get it from? It was from a little boy, right? Get it from a little boy. And John's gospel also tells us exactly what kind of bread it was. That I don't remember. Uh Uh-huh. Let me find it right here. So... uh. Chapter 6, verse 9, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. So first of all, it's a little boy. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's carrying food probably means he's there without his family. Right. And it's barley loaves. 
barley loaves is the loaf of poor people. Right. It's a cheap grain. That's why we use it for beer. Right. It's it's cheap. Mm. And that's also why there's so much single malt whiskey on the market. Yes. Also very yeah. true. It shouldn't be lost on anyone that it's a vulnerable person of meager economic means that puts forth the first element that Jesus blesses. Yeah. Because moving out of that, well, and that, that story is recorded in all four Gospels. It's right. one of the only stories that's recorded in all four Gospels, but John's the only one that tells us exactly where they got the, the fish and bread from. Can't be lost on anyone that Jesus took from a vulnerable and meager economic meaned person in order to provide food for thousands of people. Mm-hmm. At which point he turns around and says, I am the bread of life. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. They also saw that Jesus had not got into the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to the Capernaum, went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, You are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe you? What works are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gave you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So literally he just took a little, little bit, right, and fed fed 5,000 people until they were full. Yep. Um, and then still had leftovers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's got this whole narrative here about um, whoever comes to me uh, will never be hungry, right? Takes little and is fully restoring, you know? Yes. Um, I don't know that. I don't know if I just jumped super nope. far ahead, but you're fine. Um, and also, once again, he is leaning back to the Moses narrative too, right? Um, yeah. Well, they do. Well, they, yeah, yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. They jump back and like, and isn't that interesting? They were hungry. Yeah. Jesus took from a vulnerable person of meager economic means and fed. Most people think about 
about 25,000 people. Yeah. And then he comes and says, don't long for the bread that perishes, but for the eternal bread. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what the first thing they say is? What sign will you show oh, us? Oh, yeah. And Jesus is like, bro, I already did it. <laughs> yeah, like, was that not enough? Yeah. And to the narrator's point, and I think they do a really good job of highlighting it in the narrative, the only way Jesus could have in confidence offered the bread of life and full sustenance to, in his own words, whoever, mm. is that he just proved that he could sustain whoever was before him. Yeah. From five loaves and two fish. The narr—I mean, the narrative is beautiful. The storytelling is beautiful. The way it's all set up, the way it's interconnected, everything about it is simply beautiful. So I do have a question for you. Okay. Because in between the feeding of all the people and mm. this bread of life, we have yeah. Jesus walking on water. Uh-huh. How does that connect and fit in here? Or is it like a thing on its own? But I feel like it should connect somehow. I just can't see it. Yeah, it. that's because it doesn't easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesus finishes feeding them. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus, Jesus finishes feeding them, and they collect all the, the things. And we didn't actually talk about this. I don't think it's coincidental that there's 12 baskets mm, left one over. One for each disciple. Well, you said that he's offering full restoration. Yeah. What did God first need to restore? Twelve tribes of Israel? Mm. Why are we going back to the Moses narrative? Why do we keep talking about the Moses narrative? Yeah. Why is this a setup of I am and the restoration that came from I am for Israel? Mm. Yeah. I think all of this is setting you up to have these little subtle cues about Israel. Got you. That makes sense. And so to your point, I think that is where the water thing comes in. Because what else happens in the I am narrative and the restoration? The parting of the Red Sea? What's another travel water kind of narrative metaphor that you could use? Walking on water. Mm-hmm. I think all of it is a setup throughout the narrative. If you knew your Bible well enough, you would see the adjacent narrative and metaphor closely. Not you specifically, but if if a person knew their Bible and their stories well enough, they would see the parallels of Jesus at every turn throughout this narrative of restoration and sustenance. Yeah, and see, that's also a thing that we talk about a lot. Like, we tell people to read their Bibles, but we don't teach them how. You know what I mean? And and so a lot of this can seem just like broken up stories. Mm-hmm. But once you actually learn how to read your Bible, you can see all the connections and how everything fits together like a big puzzle. Well, that's the deal because when we do teach people how to read their Bible, um, and really Baptists and evangelicals are kind of the only people that do it. Um, and I hate this word, but it's why we say that we do it. But, Baptists and evangelicals, a lot of them call themselves biblicists. Yeah. I hate that word. Yeah. I can't stand that I word. Don't like but it. <laughs> um, 
they call themselves biblicists, and so they want to be Bible first. Yeah. Which that I can appreciate. Sure. I want to be Bible first. I mean, we've talked about that on PNP. Yep. But what I don't appreciate is that when a quote-unquote biblicist teaches someone how to read the Bible, they are so concerned with micro-exegesis mm-hmm. that you miss... The larger narrative. Well, you miss the forest for the trees. Yeah. And the Bible is never meant to be read that way. It's a story that reveals the character of God and the interactions of God with the people of God through their storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's broken and beautiful and poetic, but like it wasn't meant to be read that way. Yeah. And so when you get down and you're like, oh, well, let me, let me spend five hours looking at what Jesus means by the word forever. Mm-hmm. You've you missed miss the lot. beauty of the story. You've missed what's actually being told here. Yeah. What's actually being told here is that Jesus is the revelation of I am Mm. in full sustenance for the fullness of restoration, just like God tried to offer to Israel. But now it's not limited to Israel. Jesus has done this progression through the 12 loaves into the walking on the water and has now in his discourse opened it up to, in his own words, Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Yeah. It's no longer just Israel. Right. Now it's he's whoever. Yeah. Now he's opened it to the Gentiles. Right. He's fulfilled the first testament narrative. Yeah. Or is at least in his discourse right. for the signs that they're looking for. Yeah. And we also see a lot of that in uh you know, like two chapters before this, mm-hmm. and, you know, the woman at the well, right? We see yep. him opening yep. his godness yep. to the Samaritans, right? Yeah. The, so the only thing that's different about that is when he actually did it, he only did it to one woman right. in front of his disciples when they showed up after the fact. Yeah. And she's a Samaritan. Right. Here, he's letting the Jews know that he's opening it up to everyone. Right. Very different kind of thing. Because then at the end of the narrative, verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying. Yeah. So it's like this is a very different narratival um, goal. Right. So essentially what's happening is Jesus is saying, I've already done this, so this is happening, yes. and you need to get okay with it. Like, yes. Ex- yes, yeah. exactly. Or like, this is my plan that I'm about to do. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Jesus repeats himself. Yeah. I think it's important because he does change something in his repetition. Mm-hmm. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. um, And anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Going back to our narrative, our Moses narrative. What's plague number 10? The one that actually like successfully pulls it off. The uh, killing of the firstborn son. Which is which is remembered through the Passover meal. Yeah. Death and resurrection are not just a huge Christian motif and metaphor. They're a huge Jewish motif and metaphor. Mm. I think Ezekiel 37. Mm. Resurrection is a massive Jewish idea. Yeah. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, up to this point, it seems like he's talking in general redemption terms. But now he's offering resurrection. Mm. Very different kind of deal here. Because he's just met temporal needs. And then he said, I will give you, you know, don't go for the thing that's perishable. Go yeah. for the thing that's eternal. Okay, that, seem, that sounds very nice. But what does that actually mean in reality? Because, and even the Jews don't seem to, they're not thinking of it the same way he is because then they bring up the manna, mm. which was not eternal. Right. It was eternal in um, medium. Mm-hmm. Because it came from divine ways, but it was not eternal in that it's the way that they continued to eat forever. Right. I mean, literally the next morning when they would wake up, it was rotten. Yep. Well, so. and well, but not just that. They had to get new ones every day. Yeah. And then it, there came a point where the manna didn't come anymore. Yeah. It was meant to be a temporary a sustenance. Yeah. yeah. That's what their mind is that Jesus is communicating. When Jesus brings in resurrection, it's a game changer. He's now saying something that to a Jew could be offensive. Mm. And that's why the narrative, they switch. They start to complain. They start to question. They start mm-hmm. to not, they, they're not sure about this anymore. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus is now offering something something that only God can offer. Only God, even in a Jewish context where resurrection is a huge deal, only God can offer resurrection. Only God can really offer that kind of life. Also, the last day, that's a huge, oh, I don't have time to get into it. That's a huge like Jewish motif. Right. The last day is a, like, that's a big deal. Is that like a eschatological metaphor? Yes, okay. that's exactly what it is. Verse 41. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them. Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, 
and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Here's what I don't want you to miss. And here's why I spend so much time setting up the beauty and intentionality of the narrative. It's not lost on me, even in that final three verses, that Jesus' promise of life and restoration come via a promise of trauma. Mm. Eating a person is a traumatic imagery. Offering my flesh, that word there, that Greek word, very vivid. Lots of times it can even be translated as corpse. Um, I really wish we had more time to get into that. I know. We, we're going we're gonna to be a little late on this one. Just and, and most of this series, we're going to be a little late because all of these I am statements come in massive discourses of Jesus after some of his signs. Yeah. He's got nine signs and seven I am statements. Yeah. They come within the discord, the discourse. But it can't be missed. And I think every person, I think every person can interpret this their own way. The promise of life, even for Jesus, comes through trauma. Mm. And that can be one of two things. That can be because he knew, just like when he makes the offer, what do they say? What's the sign? How do we believe this? How can I look around at all of the pain and trauma that I've been through in my life and still believe in the life and resurrection of Jesus because I saw the sign. He went through more trauma than I've ever been through in order to offer life. That's the sign. So the other part is, is when I read in the Psalms that God cares, that God is my help, that God understands, when I lament, when I hear the voice of the Lord say, I get it. I believe him. Because he's been there. We all have trauma and pain. It's not going away. We live in a broken world. But the beauty of the narrative is that God himself endured our pain with us and endures our pain with us. The narrative through chapter 6 of John's gospel 
genuinely may be one of my favorite pieces of literature in the biblical narrative because of the storytelling. I don't, it, it's not lost on me the connection between <coughs> life and trauma. It's not lost on me the connection of bread and Passover. It's not, none of that narrative should be lost on anyone. For a very, very, very long time, the church has been an institution that caused pain and trauma instead of healed it because we read the narrative wrong. Trauma and oppression aren't the goal. They're the means of life. To truly understand life, you must understand the pain and trauma. And it's no, I, I just, you cannot miss that Jesus offers life through pain and trauma. Hmm. Like that understanding of forever and sustenance comes through very real pain. It's, it's like we said um, in the beginning, um, and we've been also been talking about this a lot on Let's Talk. Jesus fully restores lots of our struggles and, you know, we've been talking a lot about mental health challenges. Uh, a lot of our struggles come from trauma and pain. Um, I would say most of them, if not all. Yeah. Um, but this right here, this narrative shows that Jesus fully restores where you don't need anymore, or you don't hunger, you don't thirst. Trauma takes from you, but Jesus gives back.